It's a massive bet, but just because I'm questioning it doesn't mean I don't want to support it. I want to put all my support behind crazy, expensive, unproven ideas. I love that. That's the industry that I want to be in. I don't want to be in the IP, let's make a movie to sell toys industry. There's enough of that out there. When big risky bets like this are made by major studios, that is exactly the type of stuff that gets me to theaters, that gets me excited. Even if I don't like the movie, I like the fact that it exists. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the Pulse of Theatrical Exhibition, here for our annual preview episode, going over all of the highlights coming to theaters near you in 2024, with my friend and colleague, Russ Fisher, the Editorial Director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial services to movie theaters. And it's a great opportunity for us to go over the highest profile titles hitting theaters next year. We're going to be going over a full forecast of 2024 at the box office. Let's start with the bad news, Russ, because we do have to be upfront about it. Coming off of a year where we expect it to hit between 8 and $9 billion in the domestic box office, unfortunately, next year, I think we have to be ready for flat to declining figures. That means that we can expect a... 10% drop in domestic box office in 2024. And if there is growth, it is only going to be gradual from those 2023 numbers. I know it's not what a lot of people in the industry want to hear, but we're also in a situation where the number of films being released to theaters is still not up to the levels it was before the pandemic. And after the impact of the strikes, we're not sure we're going to see that number increase substantially in 2024. Any concerns that you have here on a macro level, Russ? I mean, the concern is simply large in general, uh, and it's related to exactly what you just said. I mean, the strike aftermath is difficult to quantify, and as such, that makes me and I think everyone else nervous. It's just very difficult to know where things are going to land. There's a lot of stuff that might have been slated for next year that is now not because it wasn't able to be finished in time because of the strike. Strikes, multiple. And so that leaves some big holes. Q1 is uh, looking pretty rough, you know? There's just nothing on the schedule here that is going to carry over in that way. It's concerning enough that... I even saw the news that Disney re-releasing some of its straight-to-streaming titles from the pandemic era, movies like Turning Red, movies like uh, Soul, like Luca. They're finally going to be hitting theaters in January, February, and March. That's a welcome little addition, but that is a little bit of a learning lesson that we have here that even studios are looking at, hey, what can we put on screens? Because it's something, it's a pain that won't be shared by exhibitors alone. I think studios are also looking at every possible avenue they can maximize the box office in 2024. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can expect very much from those Pixar re-releases, even with three of them. They're not planned as... They're event cinema more than anything else. They just happen to be coming from Disney and Pixar instead of Fathom. So I think it's a mistake to pin too many hopes on those. The truth here is, Russ, that the only film that could break out in the month of January on the schedule with some sort of $100 million potential, we're not saying it's going to get there, but it's really the only potential title to get close to a big hit, is Paramount's Mean Girls musical, which... It's news to me that it's a musical because it's not really being marketed widely 
as a musical. I mean, none of these movies are. Wonka wasn't widely marketed as a musical. Color Purple barely has been. Mean Girls is not being marketed as a musical. It certainly seems like studios are nervous about audiences being turned off by musicals, which is just weird because, you know, you're denying the audience the chance to discover a thing that they want. There is an audience for those for musical movies out there. And it seems like if you go to a film not expecting a musical and it's a full-blown musical, you're not going to be happy with it. You know, that's where, you know, C and D cinema scores come from. And that maybe doesn't really matter in the long, in the long term, but it just seems like decision-making born out of anxiety and nervousness, which is not what we need right now. I'm looking forward to seeing the musical. I think there's an excitement here, but I think we're all a little bit uh, confused by just how this is being communicated to audiences being asked to go to a theater, pay a ticket price to go in. Are they expecting a re-release of the original? There's no number two. There's no colon the musical after the title. It might be a little bit of a challenge, but there is breakout potential for that Mean Girls movie coming out from Paramount on January 12th. Unfortunately, that's the only January title we have on the schedule to really break out here. In February, we have three toss-ups here. That's what they are. They're toss-ups. Let's start with this movie, Argyle, coming out from uh, Apple and Universal. Universal stepping in to do the theatrical uh, rollout of this title from director Matthew Vaughn. This, you could basically call this uh, a Kingsman spinoff, and it would have fooled me. I can't really tell the difference between what this is supposed to be and one of the the Kingsman movies is supposed to be. Maybe it's just me being a little cynical about it, but Matthew Vaughn has an established audience. He's a name and this seems to cater to that. Exactly. Yeah, that's really it. It seems like it's aiming at the similar audience. I don't really have the confidence in that movie to call it. It would be nice if it were a breakout. It doesn't seem like that's where it's going to go. Looking further down the schedule in February, we have a couple of very different titles opening over Valentine's Day weekend. I wonder why you'd put either of them on Valentine's Day weekend, but why not? Let's go over them because one of them could break out or... They could be costly misfires. At least the Sony one could be costly. We've got Bob Marley, One Love, a bit of a biopic on Bob Marley coming out from Paramount on Valentine's Day. We saw a little bit of footage on that at CinemaCon. The footage, I think, was intriguing enough for us to pay a little bit closer attention to this title. And opening against that movie is something called Madame Webb from Sony, which is... A Spider-Man movie that doesn't have Spider-Man. And we're going to be saying that sentence a couple times in this episode. Yeah, I mean, the Bob Marley movie, it's tough. Uh, A film like that, a biopic with an actor playing a very popular, well-known figure. It's always a tough sell. And we've seen a couple recently that didn't really go anywhere. You know, The Whitney Houston Houston movie. movie. Yeah, we all thought that it was going to perform well. It really didn't in, in December 2022. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's this looks probably better than you ha- you know, I had any reason to expect it might look, but that doesn't necessarily give me the confidence to assume it's going to break out in the way that you know, we need something to break out. And talking about those concerns, we can either go the way of Morbius with Madam Web or we can go the way of Venom with that title. 
I saw the trailer for this like everybody else did online, and I have more concerns than confidence at this point. As we were saying, a lot of question marks with new releases in all of January and February. But then we get into uh, the first inflection point at the box office in 2024. March is expected to provide a much needed boost to the market, starting with probably the movie we're both looking forward to the most coming out next year, Dune Part 2 on March 1st originally rescheduled to mid-March after it got pushed out of the release schedule of early November of 2023. That got shifted because of the strike to be in mid-March. A couple of weeks back, Warner Brothers was like, you know what? Let's go a little bit earlier with this title. I think that's the right move. They're going to have a lot of runway with this. It's hard to say exactly what we expect in terms of money here because the first part of this uh, Dune two-picture saga was released day and date on HBO Max or Max Max, whatever we're calling it. And we don't really have the same market conditions to really anticipate how it's going to break out. But this is really the first $100 million lock that I think we all have confidence in for next year. I'm going to see it in premium large format. I think a lot of people are excited for this one. I think premium large format is key here. I think PLF is what drives Dune to the numbers we hope it's going to hit. Setting aside the question of whether the movie is good, et cetera, I think at this point, most audiences that need to understand Dune as kind of promising spectacle know that. They know it very well. You know, the good notes that Wonka is getting are certainly going to help. It's, you know, Timothy Chalamet doing a good thing for most audiences in Wonka. Him showing up three months later for Dune is a great thing. So, yeah, you know, personally, yeah, dying to see the movie. Watched the first one again yesterday, excited for it. But from a business perspective, it seems like it is checking off a lot of boxes that nothing else is checking off, certainly in the first two months of the year. It's a very unique proposition. There's nothing else quite like it in the market. And it's the same thing we're going to say about Kung Fu Panda, slated to release on March 8th from Universal, a family film in a corridor that really won't have too many new family films in the market. You know, there has been a Netflix series that was also quite popular that ran for a number of seasons uh, featuring those characters, but this doesn't seem to presume any understanding of that series. It really does seem like it, it, you know, carries forward from the previous movie, which was almost 10 years ago now. I mean, it's been a long time since one of these was in theaters, but you know, it's Jack Black who people like. These movies are surprisingly good. They're they're weirdly good action movies. And there's every reason to believe that this will follow through on that promise as well. So yeah, I think there's reason to have some real hopes for KFP4, we'll call it. That's a good one. Yeah. And then rounding out a very strong march at the box office that we're expecting is another title that we're very confident will also surpass a $100 million mark. Ghostbusters Frozen Empire from Sony releasing on March 29th. Now, the Ghostbusters IP has gone through good times, bad times, good reboots, bad reboots. It seems like Sony has a lot of confidence in this being a building block to something bigger. This movie is really saying like, well, okay, you like that movie. Let's add in some deep nostalgia for the original film. You know, it goes back to the New York location. It's got the old car. It's got uh, the firehouse, you know, the whole thing. 
It's also, you know, the person who made it, I know that Jason Reitman is still producing, but it's directed by, I believe, Gil Keenan, who has done some good work. So I don't know, you know, it'd be nice if it were good. It's not really up my alley at this point, but I very easily understand why Sony is pinning hopes on it. And that film was originally slated to release over the holiday corridor in 2023, rescheduled due to the pandemic. You have to think that now with a late March release date, it might be able to like out a little bit more, have a little bit more breathing room. But at the same time, I don't know, that's Ghostbusters IP. It seems like there was an opportunity this Christmas out of all Christmases to really stand out in the marketplace. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I'm excited to see how, how audiences really embrace this as a franchise moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. I think Sony's confidence in the movie is probably well-founded. And uh, moving forward, unfortunately, after that great march that we're expecting in the market, it's going to be another quiet period up until Memorial Day weekend. That means we've got a trio here of titles that could hit $100 million. Again, titles with potential that we don't really see as a guarantee. A little surprising to say this, but uh, until we see more marketing materials and a little bit more excitement online from fans for this title... We don't want to overcommit on it yet. Godzilla and Kong, the new empire. It's Godzilla times Kong. There's no versus in there anymore. Are they teaming up? What's the deal here? Who are they fighting? I keep reading it as Godzilla X Kong, which is not really, you know, it's it's sort of in the way that like when a sneaker company and a fashion company do a do like a, a collaboration. A collab. A collab. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like Godzilla and Kong collab. The New Empire, which is interesting that they're calling it The New Empire when it's coming out just a couple of weeks after Sony's Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. You know, anyway, yeah, you know, I think the th- so the first, the last movie in the series was better than anyone expected. It was very entertaining. It did relatively well, especially given that it, ha- you know, was released pretty early in the pandemic corridor. It's the same creative team now. They're doing a lot of the same kind of things. So clearly they're hoping to get that lightning back out of the bottle one more time. I think the X factor here is that just a few weeks ago, we saw the release of Godzilla Minus One, which is the new Godzilla movie from Toho Studios. It's the Japanese film, completely unrelated story-wise. And Godzilla Minus One killed it. You know, the audiences that saw it loved it. And I wonder how that complicates things for Warner Brothers with this Godzilla Kong collab. Like, does it help? Is it a good lead in? Or is it more a scenario where people were like, are like, I don't know, man, I just saw a Godzilla movie three months ago and it was great. What are you going to give me that that one doesn't give me? Or this one doesn't look as good? Or, you know, it's a, the timing here is really tricky and I don't know how to pin it down. And it can go either way. That's why we have question marks around this title. But there is the potential of a breakout hit of this making more than $100 million in theaters. The other big question mark we have here is from Universal on May 3rd, The Fall Guy, which is another one of these stunt guy makes a movie movies. I tend to like movies like that. I'm a big fan of big cinematic spectacle stunts. The Fall Guy promises that without being tied with a specific IP. What gives me confidence in a title like this one, Russ, is that it's coming from Universal. If there's a studio that knows how to sell you a concept that isn't tied to an established brand, it's Universal. So there might be something here. What have you heard from this title? 
I mean, I've seen a little bit of it uh, in addition to the trailer that's out now. It looks very entertaining. You know, Gosling is obviously in a really good place right now, thanks to Barbie. The sort of steam that he's got off of that title isn't dissipating anytime soon. Emily Blunt is great talent, and seeing the two of them together, like they clearly have chemistry in a way that we don't always see in movies like this, is very appealing. The movie looks funny. It looks like a good time. I think if... Universal continues to sell it the way that they've been selling it, uh, we might see it do uh, surprisingly well. And then the other title that might have a $100 million potential coming out before Memorial Day weekend from Paramount is If, directed by John Krasinski. This is a movie about an imaginary friend coming to life that is scheduled for May 17th. We've seen a couple of images from this title at CinemaCon. I'm intrigued by it. There's something there that hints that this really could break out. You know, it kind of looks like a live action Pixar movie. That's exactly it, yes. It's like, what if Monsters, Inc. was live action? And I always thought that Pixar was going to make the first live action Pixar movie, but Paramount has done it instead. You know, the trailer makes me wonder. It's got a strange sense of humor, which normally I appreciate. I don't know if the Everybody else that the studio needs to see this movie will also appreciate that. So I'm curious there. There's also, uh, there's another movie that we sort of overlooked in January, another Blumhouse movie, which is Imaginary, which is a horror movie about like, oh, what if imaginary friends were actually demons from another dimension that sort of leech off of people and they're angry when they're discarded instead of sad. Again, like, you know, the sort of thing where it's like, okay, maybe there's some potential here. I honestly think that title has more potential than Night Swim because it's just got like, you know, the core imagery is like, oh, a demonic teddy bear, which sells more to me than than Haunted Swimming Pool. So I'm curious, you know, how does Imaginary play? If Imaginary plays well, does that help if? If Imaginary doesn't do well, does that hurt if? Because people are like, wait, wasn't this movie just out and didn't it suck? So it's a, you know, strange position for that movie to be in. And it makes me reluctant to assume anything about how it's going to play. And all of these movies are building up to what we expect to be a huge Memorial Day weekend corridor here with three titles coming out that all of them we feel very, very confident will at least reach $100 million. Some of them can reach a lot more than that. Let's start with the other title I think we're both really looking forward to this year, another Warner Brothers movie, Furiosa, a prequel to Mad Max Fury Road. I cannot wait for this movie. Yeah, I'm eager. I am. You know, the, the trailer arrived recently and it was well received. It looks just like, I mean, honestly, the trailer could just be called More Fury Road. And it very nearly is. And that's okay. Like, clearly, what's interesting is Fury Road didn't do really well in 2015 when it was released. It had a really steep uphill battle and it didn't quite get there, but it has risen so much in in the estimation of, I think, even general audiences in the years since then that it's clear that Warner Brothers is really just going to try to say like, hey, you maybe didn't really click onto this when it was in theaters originally, so we're giving you another chance with this movie. And honestly, if they're smart, they put Fury Road back in cinemas, premium large format, do it in March or April, get it out there, or even February where it's a little dead. You know, there's there's a real opportunity there. I hope 
Warner Brothers does that. But yeah, you know, Fury Road looks like a good time. It looks like a loud, wild action movie, very much in the vein of the other Mad Max films. So I'm in. You know, I'm not a huge Mad Max fan of the original trilogy. Mad Max Fury Road is the best experience I've ever had at a movie theater, period. I remember seeing it uh, in one of the first Dolby Cinema installs here in New York City, being completely blown away by it, not knowing what to expect. It's one of those, you show, you buy a ticket, you show up, you're like, yeah, why not? I don't really like the IP, you know, what can happen? And you walk out completely, completely floored by, by that experience. I would gladly fork over more than one return premium large format visit to a Fury Road re-release, like you mentioned. Other titles here that also have a high potential from 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, a continuation of a trilogy that has never really been a box office sensation, but has hit that wonderful sweet spot of movies that are better than you think they're going to be, that perform just well enough to get a sequel. Yep, and I think the other thing that's worth noting about those movies is that they are massive digital effects showcases that cost significantly less than other massive digital effects showcases. Those movies have been, especially the last three, to which this is kind of a sequel, and this is also the planned first chapter in a new trilogy, you know, those movies have done really well in part because they're not as expensive as you think they would be. And they have very good legs. They're great. You know, they have a great life on digital and home video in as much as anything has life on home video now. So it's clear why 20th Century Studios wanted to put more money in that particular bucket. And this one looks like a lot of fun. It looks like the sort of movie you would want to see from a new Apes movie. So yeah, high hopes. We'll see how that performs in theaters, but we are very confident in it breaking out. And then finally, another family title here from Sony, the latest reboot of the Garfield IP. Who's voicing Garfield this time around? Who would you think is voicing Garfield? Don't say Chris Pratt. He's doing It's everything. Chris Pratt. It's Chris Pratt. Yeah, it's Chris Pratt. Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's who it is. You know, Garfield, I think, continues to be, I think, the merchandise sales on Garfield are probably way bigger annually than you would ever dare to think they might be. And that's why they're making this movie. It's, you know, clearly like, can we draft on the success of something like uh, Super Mario Brothers and or just the general Illumination Entertainment kind of stable? Not really a movie for me, but it's easy to understand why they think there's a big built-in audience for this title. And we are confident that that movie is going to perform in theaters considering what it's programmed against and what is what else is in the market. The Memorial Day weekend leads us into what we are hoping to be another strong summer season after a very difficult start to the year. Basically, guys, anyone working in this business, you're going to have a tough winter. March is going to be a breath of fresh air. From there, it's going to be a gamble up until Memorial Day weekend. But after that, we've got some big movies coming out. And I do hope the narrative changes. Let's tackle the summer, Russ, uh, in this way, talking about movies that have potential to break out, then movies that we feel confident will do well, and finish up with uh, movies that we feel have a $200 million plus breakout potential at the domestic box office. Let's start with the $100 million, maybe this work 
maybe it doesn't standpoint. Lionsgate is coming up with a spinoff of the John Wick universe titled Ballerina, starring Ana de Armas. That is coming out on June 7th. Ana de Armas is a star in a way that she wasn't five years ago. The John Wick franchise is at a high point in a way that it wasn't five years ago. There's a lot showing us potential behind this title, but spinoffs, it's always a little bit of a risk here. Yeah, I genuinely don't know what to think with this title. I don't think we've seen any footage so far, and that's going to be the thing. You know, John Wick has an audience because it delivers on very specific expectations, and it over-delivers on those expectations for many of the fans of those movies. So Ballerina, to sort of draft in off of the success of John Wick, has to follow suit. Because we haven't seen anything, I really don't know. I mean, clearly they know that they need to over-deliver on the action front. Whether or not they've done so, uh, no clue so far. And talking about no clue so far, this is going to be the biggest question in terms of wide releases we have in 2024. A massive bet by a star that has bet the house in the past and lost the house in the past. Kevin Costner is back as director with a two-part film. The first part, Horizon, an American Saga, is coming out in theaters on June 28th from Warner Brothers. There is a second part coming out, or at least a schedule to come out on August 16th. If it sticks to that date or not, I think is going to be down to the performance of this first entry. Russ, you've been working professionally in this industry longer than I have. You've been there covering when Kevin Costner has made big bets like this before. They haven't worked out, but he's also coming in with a career renaissance that we haven't seen in a long, long time. What to make of this? Well, first of all, at one point, so he's been trying to make these movies for years. This is not a new thing. He's been trying to make these movies for 20 years. They've changed significantly along the way. So this is not just something he came up with, you know, during his downtime, you know, in the trailer on Yellowstone. But yes, you mentioned his current career renaissance, thanks to Yellowstone, a show which he is no longer a part of, and from which he had a pretty acrimonious split. So, but generally speaking, it seems like people were kind of on Costner's side in that split. So he's got a career popularity he hasn't had since Dances with Wolves was in theaters many, many years ago. Arguably, it's a higher high. Certainly more people know Costner now and are fans of Costner than than were at the time. And that's, I mean, you know, Costner was a star going into Dances with Wolves. Like the guy in the 80s, he had a real career. You know, he had a number of other hit films. It's not like he was some guy who came out of nowhere, but Wolves certainly surprised in the way that it performed and both at the box office and then at the Oscars, notoriously beating uh, Goodfellas to win Best Picture. So what happens with this? We don't know. We've seen almost nothing. You know, there's a really brief trailer. It's actually supposed to be three movies. Did I say that already? I didn't know that. Well, it's supposed to, it is a Civil War saga. We have to say this. So even in terms of genre, it's not the post-apocalyptic future Kevin Costner movie that hasn't worked in the 90s. Yeah, it's not the Postman. It's not, yeah. Right. Waterworld, none of that. But it's still, listen, when you say Civil War saga, that's still no guarantee. It's not. The thing that's interesting is that, so he's doing at least, you know, Warner Brothers has dated two movies. My understanding is that there are at least three that are part of his plan. The thing is, they're not direct sequels to one another. Like, it's not one big story that's split up into parts. It is 
like a sprawling cast of thousands kind of epic is the design here that covers at least 10 years, but you know, before to after the civil war, my understanding is that each movie will have kind of its own distinct lead characters with their own distinct storylines. And that characters from one movie will show up in another movie, but they're not necessarily like one long interlinked Lord of the Rings kind of narrative, which is an interesting approach. But, you know, whether or not any of it works is certainly going to be dependent on whether or not audiences embrace this first movie. And because we've seen virtually nothing, it's very difficult to tell what the reaction is going to be. I still am not convinced that the second installment in in this saga is definitely going to come out in August. Not before we see numbers for the first one. It reminds me of back in the Merrimax days with when Weinstein said, you know what, this grindhouse thing that you guys got going on, we got to sell two tickets for it. Stop selling one ticket for it. We got to split it up. Same thing happened with uh, Kill Bill, another Tarantino movie. You know what? No, don't do both parts, release three months apart, release one one year, release the other one the next year. Let's make money off of the home video push for one. And then once we've exhausted the home video play on the first Kill Bill, let's go back into the well for the second one. It is very peculiar to me that a company like Warner Brothers that has a big investment riding on their max streaming service would not take a more measured approach in maximizing every single release window, including home video, including streaming, for a expensive three-part story like this. And maybe it's a situation that we haven't seen a third one day. I'm, to be honest, I haven't even checked the, rent, the comm score calendar here. There might be a date for the third one, but it wouldn't surprise me if the third one, depending on the, on the performance of the first or the second, ends up being a max exclusive to close out the trilogy, if it gets made, right? It, it, that might be the situation we're in. We're assuming at this point. I mean, yeah, I know that most of the first movie was filmed and finished before the strikes. And I think even some of the second film was in a can before the strikes hit. At one point, this was going to be an episodic series. It was going to be a, either, a, you know, whether it would have been broadcast or streaming. That was the deal. So I'm curious about what Kevin Costner said to everyone at Warner Brothers to get them to bump it up to, you know, a theatrical release and not just that, but a theatrical release with multiple parts. Uh, potentially taking place in the same year. That's very ambitious by any standard, and especially by the standards of modern movie marketing. So yeah, I share your caution. I'm interested. I'd love this to be good. I like Costner. You know, I would love a big, epic, like ridiculously like break the bank kind of Western. But until we see some footage, like real footage, there's a very brief teaser trailer out there that basically says, hey, there's a new movie that Kevin Costner is in. You know, until we see something real, I share your caution. It's a massive bet, but just because I'm questioning it doesn't mean I don't want to support it. I want to put all my support behind crazy, expensive, unproven ideas. I love that. That's the industry that I want to be in. I don't want to be in the IP, let's make a movie to sell toys industry. There's enough of that out there. When big risky bets like this are made by major studios, that is exactly the type of stuff that gets me to theaters, that gets me excited. Even if I don't like the movie, I like the fact that it exists. That's definitely on top of my list of uh, big question marks I have. Like I said, we can sit down here and, and ask questions and, and wonder and speculate from a financial perspective. That's what our job is. Our job is to provide information to movie theater owners so they can make uh, decisions on their end. But as a film goer, this is an event. 
this is something for me to get excited about to do over the summer. And I can't wait to do it. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, uh, the great thing is I don't have to be worried. I'm not a financier. I don't have to be worried about this movie (laughs) making money. I want it to be good. I want to be entertained by it. I want it to be something unusual that we don't get to see. You know, the specific structure of this podcast means that I have to approach it from the perspective of can it make money? But personally, I want to see it. I love that it's a big swing. I love that it's absolutely like kind of, you know, Costner really like spending all of this cred he has accumulated to do a thing that he's wanted to do for years. That's great. I'm excited. That bet rarely pays off for anyone. I mean, (laughs) I think it worked for, in hindsight only, for De Niro and Raging Bull, which ended up being the same risk for Scorsese, also coming off, you know, no guarantees at the box office. It wasn't a financial success. Raging Bull very famously comes out uh, the same year of another expensive period Western that doesn't perform, Heaven's Gate. Uh, It wasn't a box office hit, but no one ever sits back and says, hey, that Raging Bull really could have made more money. No one has ever said that. No, they call Heaven's Gate the mistake, but Raging Bull is the artistic triumph. And we're saying that less and less these days, actually. Heaven's Gate, I think, has found a critical reappreciation that is somewhat overdue, in large part because we didn't see the cut that uh, Chimino wanted us to see. Well, that's probably Chimino's fault, knowing uh, a little bit about how how he went about things during production and post-production. But yeah, I think that's our expectations for something like uh, this two-slash-three-part series from Kevin Costner. Yes, we have to talk about these things maybe making money, but when you talk about Horizon and American Saga, who cares? Some guy's betting his entire career viability on this. Why not go see it? On that front, we also have this year, we have the ultimate guy betting his personal career and his money on a movie, which is Francis Ford Coppola, who has been filming a movie called Megalopolis in Atlanta for like two years now. And this is a movie he's wanted to make for decades. He's paying for it himself because he's Coppola. He can. And nobody has any idea of what this movie is going to be. Is it going to be good? What's going to be the deal? And I cannot wait. I'm so excited that he's doing it. Like, yes, just go out and do your crazy ass thing because you're Coppola. You can. What else are you going to do? Make some small movie? Get out of here. The guy sold his wine business. To finance. Yeah. This. I mean, he, he's not he he's not betting the house. He's betting the vineyard. He bet the house for Apocalypse Now. He already did that. He's, he's bet the house multiple bet, times. Really. Multiple times. At this point, he's betting the vineyard. We'll see how that works out. But I completely agree. There's a romanticism to this industry when you see people just go out of their way to make something that they care deeply and passionately for. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but as, as long as it's interesting, it's worth our time. And that's the frustration that I and I think a lot of people have with like the streaming bean counter era and this thing where we see, you know, Warner Brothers scuttling, you know, uh, movies like Batgirl or uh, Coyote versus Acme because they just feel like, oh, it's going to be better for us as a tax write-off. You know, certainly throughout the past hundred years of cinema, hundred years plus, Studios and executives have treated movies badly. It happens all the time, but it doesn't happen quite like we've seen it happen recently. And it's demoralizing to see that there don't seem to be 
you know, like when Coppola made The Godfather, there was Robert Evans, you know, there were executives who were willing to also bet some aspect of their personal farm on movies. And that's always been a thing. And it seems like there's less of that now. I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, but it doesn't exist in maybe as, it doesn't seem to exist at high positions of power at studios. And that's where I think, you know, we've, the business has changed in a way that bumps me out personally. But we are seeing, as we mentioned, uh, a couple of bright spots in terms of, hey, people still make crazy movies uh, that might not work. Uh, we have at least two of them coming out next year. But let's talk about things that our uh, colleagues in exhibition will feel a little bit more comfortable putting on their schedule. The $100 million locks of the summer are A Quiet Place Day One from Paramount coming out on June 28th. We feel confident for that to connect with audiences. And a sequel to the 1996 film Twister, appropriately titled Twisters, plural. I love when you do the Alien Aliens callback. That's great. That's coming out from Universal on July 19th. My only question about both these titles is why didn't they come out sooner? I mean, these are duh ideas. And under the right direction, under the right filmmaker, these are titles that could be very intriguing in a fun genre way for everyone. Yeah, I mean, A Quiet Place Day One, I think was actually originally tentatively dated for like March of this year. And then because of strikes and everything else, variety of other reasons, it was pushed back. Twisters is one of those movies. They Somebody's been trying to make that movie for 30 years, basically. I know like Helen Hunt had written a script and wanted to direct it a sequel script a long time ago that got a certain way down the road of development and then it didn't happen. There have been other attempts to make a Twister sequel. Certainly the passing of Bill Paxton changed things a little bit. We'll see. Yeah, we haven't seen anything from this movie. I'm hopeful. You know, you want just a big popcorn movie and Twisters seems like the sort of thing that might be able to deliver. Yeah, I think both these titles are exactly that. A fun time at the movies over the summer. That's why we have a lot of confidence in them surpassing the $100 million mark on the calendar. And then we've got here four movies that we are confident could even cross the $200 million domestic mark. Let's start with the latest entry in the Bad Boys franchise. This is the fourth one, right? I believe this is Bad Boys 4. Yes. And it's directed by the same filmmakers who made the previous movie. Bad Boys for Life was a surprisingly good movie. You know, it was very good as a Bad Boys movie. It worked, you know, played better than anyone expected it to. And so obviously there's a lot of reason to have, you know, higher than average expectations for this fourth one. Also opening on the same date, that's June 14th, coming out from Disney Pixar, is Inside Out 2, a sequel to one of my favorite Pixar movies. I'm actually excited for this one. I didn't expect Inside Out to be as good as it was. I cried in the movie theater. I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's a good movie. Inside Out, good movie. I like it. Inside Out too. You know, Pixar has struggled over the last few years. Disney has not helped Pixar navigate the new waters of streaming slash theatrical uh, very well. You know, the movies that everybody thinks, you know, the movies that probably should have been theatrical, like Turning Red and Luca were either day and date or were streaming exclusively. Obviously, those are the movies that are being re-released or not re-released, but being released in theaters for the first time in Q1 2024. So, you know, Inside Out 2 looks like because it's a familiar IP, you know, a very successful first movie, it looks like kind of a return to form for Pixar. And it's certainly safer going than some of the other stuff the studio has tried over the last couple of years. 
So, you know, can this sort of reignite Pixar's theatrical success? It would be nice. I'm beyond it would be nice. It has to reignite Pixar's theatrical success. There's no excuses now. It's not Lightyear that you weren't really sure what Lightyear was. It's not an original IP. This is a sequel to something that worked. This is a summer date where Disney has had a lot of trouble breaking out and doing as well as it used to. No excuses here. This movie has to be a hit. And I'm confident it can be a hit. That's why we have it on this list of 200 million plus domestic earner potential. This is as close to a guarantee as we can think of for an animated title coming from Disney, which is crazy that we have to ask questions about that part of the industry. But if we look at how these movies have performed since 2020, none of them have worked as well as they should have. I do truly believe this is the one that breaks that losing streak for Disney and Pixar. I think you're right. I think it, this is the one that has the potential to do it. And so I hope that Disney and Pixar are able to market it into that position. Another big animated title for audiences coming in droves with family members and with kids is going to be Despicable Me 4 coming out from Universal over July 4th weekend. This is going to be that big family event movie for July 4th. Not much I think either of us can add here. I don't want to be very uh, you know, ecstatic about it and then see it fizzle out, but I think this is close to a guarantee we have this year, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, the rise of Gru did not perform, I think, in the way that two years earlier we would have assumed that it would. That movie was complicated by, you know, its promotional push began prior to the pandemic. And so that movie was delayed and derailed and things happened that were out of the studio's control. But it certainly wasn't, you know, the outsized hit that anybody would have liked it to be. So maybe with a, a smoother on-ramp, can Despicable Me 4 do better? You know, I hope so. Certainly the groundwork has been laid. Yeah, uh, I think we, we both expect that uh, from that title. And uh, rounding out the month of July is uh, the untitled Deadpool sequel. I'm just going to call it Deadpool 3. Uh, so we're all on the same page here. Yeah, I mean, Deadpool is a big deal. It's going to be the first R-rated Marvel Studios movie, supposedly. That's what they've said. This, to me, you know, in much the same way, like I would use the same language to describe this that you used to talk about Inside Out 2. You know, Marvel has not struggled as much as Pixar has, but Marvel is certainly struggling. If Deadpool 3 doesn't perform, then the problems are far bigger than anyone thinks. In a bigger way that none of us expected the Marvels to do as poorly as it did. I don't want to make any excuses for that drop-off from $1.1 billion worldwide to $200 million worldwide. There are structural problems when you see that drop-off. But at the same time, that Marvel's IP wasn't as established as these two Deadpool movies have been through uh, 20th Century Fox back in the day. Now that Disney's taking over... This has to be as close to a plug and play, like you say, Russ, if this doesn't work, and I think there's no way it doesn't work, but if it even disappoints slightly, there's only going to be more pressure on Disney. The character is hugely popular, and they've got Hugh Jackman coming back to play Wolverine, a role that everyone thought he was done with. I think he thought he was done with it. So it really is. It's the closest thing to a slam dunk we've got this year. You know, Marvel is in a very interesting position right now. They've just fired Jonathan Majors following his criminal conviction. I can't remember the specific charges, so I won't name them. But that gives Marvel a chance 
you know, Marvel was going to, the next Avengers movie was going to revolve entirely around Major's character, Kang. There's a lot of reason to believe now that Marvel is completely retooling that approach. And if the studio is smart, you know, they're taking this opportunity to really reassess a lot of things that clearly have not been working over the past year and a half. And Deadpool 3 is a plan, you know, Deadpool 3 is not done. They're still filming it, but, you know, it's, as locked as it can be at this point. So I don't expect wild things to change there, but you never know. And Marvel does a lot of stuff at the last minute. And if nothing else, I hope that they are taking the unfortunate Jonathan Majors situation as an opportunity to very significantly rework plans and assumptions. And, you know, maybe Deadpool three can be a nice kind of fresh start. It's going to be a breath of fresh air from a series of films in the Marvel cinematic universe that, have failed to connect the way they used to at the box office and have failed to connect with audiences the way they used to. And this is exactly the breath of fresh air that I think the MCU needs, especially since it's the only MCU title that's going to be released this year from Disney. Unfortunately, however, that is going to be the last hurrah of the summer because this has been the case for a number of years now since the pandemic. August looks slow. To say the least, traditionally a slow month at the box office, people are on vacation, kids coming back to school. We've got the second part of Horizon and American Saga scheduled for August 16th from Warner Brothers. I'm still, like I said, not entirely sure that'll stay there. I want it to stay there. Sounds like an awesome experiment, but that's up in the air. And then another question mark here, the second of three Spider-Man without Spider-Man movies coming out this year from Sony. Craven the Hunter, originally scheduled for the fall of 2023, moved to August 30th of 2024. This movie was mostly done. We'd all seen footage from it. The strike pushed it. I don't know if there were reshoots. I don't know how much of it was done. But the fact that you have an entire year to schedule a movie that's nearly finished and you put it on August 30th, I'm sorry to say that says something about the movie. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen the trailer or trailers at this point. You know, I don't really know what to say about Craven besides good luck. Yeah, and I think that's that's what gets me a little bit nervous about this uh, Spider-Man spinoff universe, uh, pun intended there, is you pick the first of these movies to be released this year to come out in February. Okay, that tells you something. And the second one in August... I mean, come on. Hopefully we're wrong. And uh, listen, what I've seen of Craven the Hunter hasn't been bad. It looks like a gritty action movie. I like gritty action movies. Yeah, we'll see how that performs. It does have that potential to break out beyond the $100 million mark, but we still have a big asterisk around anything not titled Venom outside of the Spider-Man Spider-Verse universe. Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, yeah, Madam Web, you've got actual characters in kind of like Spider-Man costumes. So that gives you an edge that something like Craven the Hunter does not have. But whether or not that'll you know be something they're able to capitalize on, as we've already said, we'll see. I would put more money on Madam Web than I put on Craven the Hunter, put it that way. And now let's go over the fall and winter months of 2024 to close out what we expect to be a stronger end to the year at the box office in 24 than we had in 23. At least one with more sure things, with a more balanced release slate. Let's start with the $100 million potential earners here. Movies that we're not sure are going to do great, but that definitely have a 
potential to connect. Let me start here on September 13th with a Transformers animated movie titled Transformers 1 from Paramount. We saw Rise of the Beasts that came out from the studio earlier in 2023 do surprisingly well domestically and really reignite this IP in a way we had not seen it be relevant for many years. I think there's some goodwill writing on this Transformers animated title, Russ. Yeah, I agree. I mean, animation and Transformers go together well, kind of like you were saying before, where, you know, certainly prior to uh, the Michael Bay movies, Transformers were really TV and toys. And so, you know, an animated movie, if it looks, I think the thing with the Transformers animated movie now is what's playing really well is this kind of almost hesitant to call it revisionist animation, but slightly more daring animation in the Spider-Verse movies and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The latter coming out from Paramount, for Correct. example, last year that also crossed $100 million mark. And we, we were talking about that Turtles animated film from Paramount that came out in 23 in very similar terms that we're talking about this Transformers title. Absolutely. So if they've applied the same kind of moxie to this movie, then yeah, they might, you know, that there's some breakout potential there. Talking about breakout potential on the schedule, still untitled. We're not sure if this is going to stick the date, but there's potential here from Universal and Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Studio is an untitled horror title. Now, Jordan Peele is not going to be helming this film, but it's horror. It's Universal. Barring anything beyond that, there's potential in the concept. Right now, Peel and Monkey Paw and Universal have two movies on the schedule. They've got this one in September, and they have Peel's next directorial effort at Christmas next year. I would bet you anything that Peel's movie is going to move off of Christmas. I don't think that movie is filmed. Focus Features recently set Robert Eggers' movie Nosferatu for Christmas. Focus and Universal are the same company. I don't see them programming directly competing movies on the same day. So if anything, you know, I expect we're going to see Peel's movie move probably into summer of 25. But meanwhile, we have this mystery September movie, you know, maybe we'll get details about that at something like South by or we don't know, CinemaCon, perhaps. Yeah, I think that seems about right. We're going to reserve any further analysis until we learn a little bit more about that title. But again, conceptually, it makes sense in the schedule. There's something there. Talking about horror movies that can work during this period, on October 18th, the follow-up to the surprise box office hit from 2022, Smile 2, coming out from Paramount. That is October 18th, right before Halloween. The first one did well with audiences. Paramount did a great job putting out in theaters. This is going to be a tricky year for Paramount. There's no Mission Impossible, but there's no Tom Cruise, basically. So Paramount is going to be working extra hard to make sure that in a Tom Cruise-less year, their genre movies overperform. And they have a good track record of that. And I mean, as we record this, you know, it's less than 24 hours after news broke that David Zaslav and Warner Brothers Discovery have discussed the possibility of buying Paramount outright. Paramount has been more or less for sale for a while. There's been talk of David Ellison's Skydance taking control. The point being that if we're going into 24 with the studio looking at a potential sale or at a hopeful sale, then that means the slate has to perform. Um, so, you know, they, they don't want to be going into a sales situation and having, you know, a dismal underperforming slate. So Smile 2 seems like an easy home run on the face of it. I think this is going to be another one where the market marketing team has got to really meet the challenge of 
you know, telling audiences about the movie and what it is, but you know, people liked the first movie. It did well. It's had legs. So, you know, it suggests good things for the sequel. It's worth saying they knocked it out of the park with smile. And so there's no reason to think they can't do that again. So, you know, whether or not audiences are fickle is a different question, but yeah, I think there's every reason to have confidence in the, in the teams over at Paramount. And another sequel coming out uh, later this year from Paramount that we also think has $100 million potential is Gladiator 2. Ridley Scott, I believe, is almost finished making this movie the strike interrupted production. They have to ramp it back up, which is easier said than done on a big, big production of this scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the chief hurdle that Gladiator 2 has to clear is that, to the best of my knowledge, Russell Crowe is not involved. So certainly when you have, you know, the face, the star of a title that is, you know, deemed a classic by virtually everyone, and they're not there for the sequel, that's the thing that you have to, you know, you got to convince audiences that this is uh, legit, even though it comes from Ridley Scott. It's the same people otherwise. So like, yeah, it's Gladiator 2. But I think there's a little bit of sell that has to go on there. That said, the cast they have is great. It's Paul Mescal, it's Denzel Washington. You know, there are a couple of returning cast members from the original movie. But, you know, I think that Ridley Scott is not going to jump into a movie like this if he's not confident in it. Ridley Scott is nothing if not confident as a whole. It's a very entertaining thing about him. So yeah, you know, fingers crossed. Now to the movies that we feel are definitely going to be a lock at the box office in that fourth quarter of 2024. We are very confident that Sonic 3 from Paramount is going to be a $100 million plus earner that is scheduled for December 20th. Talking about this lean and mean Paramount year, strong end to the year for Paramount and uh, Sonic 3 might be the surest thing they have on their slate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't even need to really go into detail. The first two movies have done very well. There's no reason to expect that the third movie is suddenly going to stumble in a huge way. And to finish up here, our conversation, we have a number of titles coming out in September, October, November, and December that we believe have a $200 million plus earning potential Let's start chronologically here, Russ, with a sequel that I'm not sure too many people are asking for, but if there's enough interest, it could do very, very well. Beetlejuice 2 coming out from Warner Brothers on September 6th. Yeah. You know, you've got Tim Burton returning to direct. You have his uh, Wednesday star, Jenna Ortega, stepping in as the daughter of Winona Ryder's character from the original movie. Beetlejuice 2 has been a movie that has gone in and out of development for two decades easily, actually probably more than that. They probably tried to do a sequel to this the moment the first movie was in theaters. It hasn't happened. It's very clear that this happened now because of that creative collab between Burton and Jenna Ortega. That's a big deal. It's the reason this movie is happening. No question about it. But you've got other cast returning. You've got Michael Keaton back as Beetlejuice. And it's just like, is the nostalgia factor plus the allure of the general strangeness of that movie, which people still very much enjoy, is that enough? And talking about Michael Keaton and Jason sequels from Warner Brothers, we've got the sequel to the standalone or supposedly standalone Alone Joker movie starring Joaquin Phoenix from, I believe it was 2019, rated R, did fantastically well. I think to this day, the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. But get ready, I'm going to white knuckle social media 
this October and November, Russ, because man, the annoying fanboys are going to have the time of their lives at the movies. We've got a Joker sequel and a Venom sequel, like five weeks apart, man. Ah. Well, the other interesting thing about the Joker sequel, it co-stars Lady Gaga. Everyone assumes she's playing Harley Quinn. I mean, I think that's even been confirmed at this point. But the understanding is also is that the Joker sequel is kind of a musical, like maybe not a full-blown all-singing-all-dancing musical, but a movie that has significant musical numbers in it. And I'm curious to see about the degree to which Warner Brothers sells on that point or tries to hide it. That is definitely going to be one of the biggest hits of the year at the box office. Rated R or not, people will come out in droves to see it. That exact same audience segment, and I do say exact same, is going to come out to theaters five weeks later to see Venom 3. There's That's not the official title, but it's essentially the third Venom title on the schedule. I'm not sure how much of this has been filmed or done. I haven't seen too much of it. I hope it keeps that date. But like we said, once we get to this part of the schedule, things tend to move. And we just don't know enough about where Venom 3 was in terms of production before the pause from the strike. What we do know was uh, well into production was the first of a two-part adaptation of the hit musical Wicked coming out from Universal, finally coming out from Universal. It's been delayed numerous times over the years. It's finally hitting theaters here on November 27th around the Thanksgiving holiday cross-quadrant, family title. I mean, I know we've been saying, you know, can the Mean Girls musical, can the Color Purple musical? I mean, this is the musical of musicals in recent generations. This is going to bring people out. If this musical doesn't bring people out, musicals aren't going to get made for the next 15 years in Hollywood. Yeah, you would think. I mean, this is, like you say, this is a capital M musical. It has the talent to make that work. And it's, you know, I've seen some, you know, clips of it. I don't even remember if the full trailer is available or not. I think maybe it's not. There were just some images and things like that. I mean, it's very big. It's very colorful. They're, you know, being super ambitious with the physical production of it. And so I hope it works. Certainly there's a huge audience for this movie or pair of movies. And yeah, like you say, it's this seems like as close to a slam dunk musical hit as anybody's going to get anytime soon. And we saw some glimpses of it at CinemaCon 2023. I expect a big chunk of Universal's presentation at CinemaCon 2024 to be based around this title. Yeah, this, this very well might be one of the big buzzy titles of this year, depending on what we get to see ahead of time in terms of marketing. And then coming into December, we've got a movie with, I think, a lot of upside here. If they're able to capitalize on this IP's newfound fan base, we've got Karate Kid in an interesting iteration. As I understand it, Ralph Macchio is back and Jackie Chan is back. And Jackie Chan was part of the reboot thing. Are they going to bring in Hilary Swank as well? I'd love them to. That'd be great. Just yeah, a meeting of the generations of the karate <laughs> children. Certainly the casting suggests that this is going to be some kind of probably continuation of the Cobra Kai series, which has a large fan base. And then also bring that together with the, the 2010 reboot that featured Jackie Chan. As we've been talking about, the way that streaming series can come in and help a theatrical IP and revitalize a theatrical IP can come 
and benefit the box office. We do expect that with the renaissance of the Cobra Kai streaming series that's been a hit, especially over the pandemic. Originally, I think on YouTube TV, then that ended up going over to Netflix in a weird sort of like newfound home. But uh, a lot of upside here for this Karate Kid title. And then finishing off the movies that we do expect to have blockbuster potential is a Lion King spinoff centered around Mufasa. So now we've got an anti-hero movie with the Lion King. Look at that. Yeah, this has to make money, right? People want to see this. You would think, yeah. It's uh, directed by Barry Jenkins, Moonlight filmmaker. So I don't know that much more about it. I've seen like little tiny sort of sizzle reel-ish glimpse, but really, yeah, I mean, it's in the vein of the CG remake of The Lion King, which is to say... It's not really live action, but it's meant to look kind of like live action. But yeah, interesting concept. We got to see how what they've really done with it, though. And out of all these movies, Russ, what's your pick? Really, really early pick for the highest grossing movie of 2024. The easy money is on Deadpool 3. You know, I wonder, in a different year, that would have been the lock. Now, man, I don't know. Kung Fu Panda 4 might do really well. Despicable Me is has a lot of potential. If they can make it work, Wicked. You know, I have a lot of questions about Wicked, but certainly the potential for Wicked to be the biggest movie of the year is there. Yeah, I'm really, you know, the last couple of years have changed anything I might have thought I knew about what was going to perform and what's <laughs> not. And now I'm really reluctant to put my name on the line it's not on the line. Nobody cares. But yeah, it is tougher now to you know to say where things are going to go. I think for me, it's a toss-up between Despicable Me 4 and the third Deadpool movie. I think anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I'm very skeptical about the true potential and appeal, ongoing appeal of the comic book movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But this Deadpool sequel exists in a, in a separate universe than everything. You don't have to watch a bunch of TV shows and movies to engage with this superhero and this sort of irreverent humor. It's also a year where the demand for superhero movies isn't going to be spread too thin. It's really concentrated to the middle of the summer, to this one movie. It's not like this year where you had an Ant-Man, you had a Guardians in the early in the year. Multiple DC a, movies. You know, yeah. Thing. No. There's no DC movies. Oh, there's the Joker movie, but that's not it's really different. a DC. Yeah, it's a different thing, right? And we, I still think that may, might be a dark horse for the highest earning movie of the year for the same reason. <laughs> but yeah, don't don't sleep on Despicable Me 4. In the summer, there's no real animated family movies around that corridor. July 4th weekend, lots of legs in that going through the summer vacation corridor. I know family audiences and exhibitors are going to be looking forward to that. So those are our early, early picks for the highest grossing movie of 2024. Let's finish this off, Russ, with the most anticipated movie of 2024 for us personally. Enough talking about how much money these movies could make, will make. I, You know I don't love talking about films in that regard. What do you want to see as a movie fan? I mean, some things are obvious. Dune 2, Nosferatu, very curious about Nosferatu. And then, yeah, what else do I want to see? 
Furiosa has to be on there. I mean, those are the two you yeah. mentioned and Furiosa. That's my Furiosa is high on the list. Yeah, and then you know the thing is, there's going to be a lot of stuff announced and dated. There'll be things that show up at festivals, stuff that comes out of Sundance. There are a bunch of things that we we just don't even have dates or titles for right now. So those are not the things that I'm excited for, to the exclusion of all else. But out of the stuff that we've seen here we've talked about today certainly those three movies are high on the list and i want to see deadpool 3 too you know it's like i enjoy like the height of marvel movies i really enjoyed those i haven't enjoyed the last couple of years i would like to enjoy them again i like hugh jackman as wolverine and that i think is why deadpool 3 has a lot of box office potential because i think that it really has the ability to draw an audience back in that has maybe slipped away yeah, I think that's a really way, good way of summing it up, Russ. A lot to look forward to, a lot of questions we need answered. Not the least of which is, are we still going to have the same number of major studios by this point next year that we have now? That uh, that Warner Brothers Paramount thing making a lot of people sweat right now across the industry. That's going to be one of the major stories, if not the biggest story of 2024 for this industry. And you'll be able to learn more about that and everything else in the world of theatrical exhibition through our website, boxofficepro.com, our magazine, Box Office Pro Magazine, and this podcast, which comes out every single Thursday. Thanks again for listening. On behalf of Russ Fisher and myself, Daniel Luria, we appreciate all your support, and we will be back next week with a new episode of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again next week.